Welcome to the eight. I'm sure you have heard, I, I have definitely heard this saying before. I think you've heard this too. Do what I say and not what I do, boy. Do what I say and not what I do, boy. I don't know, to me, I, I added the boy because it just makes sense. I feel like it just, it's part of the Southern culture. You can't just say, do what I say and not what I do. Do what I say, not what I do, boy. So you've heard that saying before. Something, I promise you, you already know this. Your parents' behavior not their advice, determine whether or not you want to be like them. If you think of your childhood, it, it was your parents' behavior, not their advice, determine whether or not you want to be like them. What resonates with all of us is not the, not the sermon, not the words, but someone's behavior, someone's actions, right? I mean, actions speak louder than words. But if you think of your childhood and, and, and your upbringing with your parents, it wasn't necessarily their advice or what they told you to do or not to do. It was their behavior that impacted you more than their words. We are in part two of a series, which I'll get to the, to the name of it uh, later on. But we talked about last week is that nobody likes to talk about this because it's so politically incorrect. But the most critical factor to us in parenting our children is our marriage. There is a strong connection between the health of our marriage and us parenting our kids. Sometimes we like to strip the, 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 top, the topic of parenting and move it away from the dynamic of marriage. But we have to go back to the original divine design. And there's a direct and strong correlation and studies show that. And we also talked about how God still meets us even though maybe we still struggle in our marriage, God will still meet us even in our shortcomings. The health of our marriage has a correlation to the health of how we parent. Your pre-marriage life, your single life, like I tell single people, how you manage your own personal struggles, how you manage your self-worth, how you manage like conflicts you might have with friends is a direct correlation to the health of your marriage. I, like it's, it's a one-to-one. -one. Like how you manage now your life as a single person is a direct correlation, I, I can take a good guess, on the health of your marriage. Because so many people say, well, once I get married, like this will be resolved about me right, that I'll have more self-esteem or self-worth, whatever the case might be, once I get married, so forth and so forth, right, you complete me, right, they think once I get married, like, this will complete me, but I mean, obviously, we know that only exists in Tom Cruise movies, it's not really reality. The icon of marriage that we are able to give to our kids has a strong correlation into their upbringing of us being the icon of marriage, which impacts our kids. This is the title of our series, Strengthen the Elders, Chasten the Young. This is the prayer of an early Christian from the 5th century. His name was St. Gregory the Theologian. St. Gregory, and, and actually we, we pray, these, uh, pray these words in the Coptic Orthodox Church, not every Sunday, but it's one of our liturgies where we pray these words. We say, Lord, strengthen the elders. Give strength to the elders, which could be parents or it could, could be elders in, in general, but also chasten the young. You know what chasten means? Like discipline. So we're also saying, Lord, strengthen the elders, but guide and, and reproof and, and, and discipline the young as well. So we're praying for both. So there's this dynamic between strengthening the elders and also chastening the young. Last week, we talked about this. Real versus ideal, right? There's an ideal version of how I think I look, but I also have to embrace reality. There's an ideal of who I want to be or how I want to, like, 
it's how I handle stress. There's an ideal of how I want to be, but I also need to face reality. There's an ideal of what, where I want my marriage to be, but I also know there's a reality. But the most beautiful thing about Jesus, Jesus meets us at real. He meets us at where we are. This was the most radical ideology that made Jesus so attractive 21 centuries ago. This is why what we love to say here at Sandmark Church, people who are nothing like Jesus liked Jesus. Why? It's because Jesus met us at real, is that he met people where they were in today's gospel. He met with a bunch of tax collectors in the cultural like, framework back then. Tax collectors, man, they'll, they'll, that's like the no-no group of, of society. But Jesus had a house party with them for crying out loud. So he met them where they were. And he meets you and me where we are in our marriage, in our own personal struggles. He meets us where we are. Like I said, people liked him. People liked Jesus because Jesus knew what the ideal was. But he met us at real to, 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 to make clear what ideal is. He met us at real but made clear where ideal was. He met us where we were, but points us in the direction of where we need to go in our own personal life, in our own personal growth, in our marriage, in, in every aspect of our life. He meets us where we are, but points us in the direction of where ideal is. He embraced the tension between real and ideal. The flip side of that, Jesus hated people who were just stuck on ideal, ideal, you need to do ideal. If you're not, if you can't meet ideal, then you're worthless. He hated people who were just stuck on truth, 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 and no grace at all. Another name for people like this is called the Pharisees. They were just stuck, they were just stuck at like just looking down at people, saying, well, you shouldn't be doing that, and that's wrong, and that's a sin. And they were just stuck on truth, but completely missed out on the grace component. Just to give you a snapshot of how, like, what Jesus said about those who just held on to truth and never extended grace and just held ideal but never met people at real. And Jesus said this, and you experts, you Pharisees of the law, woe to you. Anytime you hear Jesus say woe to you, like, you know, you know it's about to get serious, right? You, woe to you, like, that's, that, that's, a, like that's, that, that's a Christian way of cussing someone out, all right? So Jesus is saying woe to you. And you experts of the law, woe to you because you load people down with burdens they can hardly handle or carry. And you express, and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. What he says, he says, woe to you, because you load people with so many burdens that you, they can't even carry themselves. And let's pray in his face, you probably can't carry it yourself, but you do nothing to help them. So Jesus gives it to them, to those who are just pointing at ideal, and shame to you that are pointing down at, 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 at others. So Jesus really gives it to them, to those who just hold on to ideal. It is the New Testament authors. It is the early Christians in the first few centuries. It is the saints. It is the martyrs of the church, which embraced where they are, their, their real struggle. They, they embraced real, but pointed toward ideal. And the one person in which now, in the liturgical life of the church, and wh whom we honor and venerate, who lived that out, is the mother of God herself. Let St. Mary came with her realness and said, I'm saying, I'm all in. I'm all into God. I'm saying yes to him. And because she said yes, even with her struggles and with her sins and her saying yes to God, we're talking about her 21 centuries later, and we honor her for that. It's not just St. Mary, but obviously 
all the New Testament authors and church fathers of the first few centuries. I hate to break it to you, I know this series about parenting, but Jesus never actually never addressed parenting. But he did address behavior. He never addressed parenting, like, directly. But he did address behavior. Go back to what we said. You know this to be true. Like, the things that we remember of our childhood, of, of what our parents, it's not exactly what they said, but it's their behavior that impacted us the most, more than their advice or anything they said or did. It was, it was their behavior. If we put on the mindset of being like a Jewish scholar or being a very faithful Jewish man or woman, there is over 630 Judaic laws, over 630 laws. And Jesus obviously came to bring all that to fruition, to bring all of that to completion. He says, and and he would say, a new command I give you, a new command I give you, a new command I give you. And actually, St. Paul talks about this new command. He titles it that this is the law of Christ. And it was very simple. Jesus would push the ethic of to love others as Jesus loves you. To love others in the same way Jesus loves you. This was the ethic that was so radical, so liberal, and which Jesus pushed in the first century that just made people so, you know, attractive to who Jesus was because he gave a new ethic to what love is. He would express what love is intended to be by raising the bar as far as the ethic of love is concerned. And for those who are married or for those who have kids, you know that the ultimate test of this ethic is marriage, is parenting. Like this is the ultimate pop quiz every single day. Is, is how do I push unconditional, sacrificial love, even though I'm sick and tired of that person, right? The ultimate test is parenting, is marriage. Why? Because there's a clash. There's a clash between my way and that, you know, that little four-year-old's way. It's my way or her way, right? There's always tension. And who's going to win, right? I mean, forget parenting. Isn't that marriage right there? There's a clash. I mean, that's why the first year of marriage is so tough because there's, so, there's a huge learning curve. The reflex for you and me, let's face it, the raw, dirty part of us is it's me. What's in it for me? How do people think of me? How do I look, right? It's all about my image. That, 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 that's the rawness of who we are. What can I do to impress someone or to make sure I look a certain way? And you could clash that with someone else who has that same ideology. This is where there's a clash. But where marriage can thrive is that when both are moving toward the same ethic of love, for those, again, with all respect, if, if there's no agree, agreement on that's the same definition of the ethic of love that both of us as being broken people are moving toward, I, I, I mean, help me. I, I, I don't know. I, 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 then, then everything's a revolving door. Everything evolves. Everything is relative to, to your own definition of love and what you think is right. But Jesus personified what the ethic of love is. The ultimate test of this ethic is marriage and parenting. Parents, doesn't parenting bring out ugly parts of us? Like anger. Like there's some parts of like, I, I didn't know I could get angry like that. Like without, without but until I, I had a kid. Anger, short-wired, fear, insecurity. And what, what are all these emotions that come out of us as parents? These are all manifestations of self-perseverance. These are manifestations of me preserving myself because it's trying to put my way above that four-year-old's brat's way, right? It's my way and not her way. 
right? So there is the tension. And what comes out is my anger, is I'm going to explode. And I I look back and I, did I really say that? All those emotions come out because I'm trying to preserve my way over her way. Going back to the ethic, the high bar and high ethic of love. St. Paul understood that it's so hard. Like, we can say, I need to love the way Jesus loves. I need to love the the same way Jesus loves. And this is why St. Paul kind of gives us, like, handles of how to hold on to that. So this is where St. Paul would always say, okay, love one another. Inspire one another. Motivate one another. Support one another. Submit to one another. Like, these are all expressions of that ethic of love. So he would continue to push different Uh, followers of Jesus all around the Mediterranean rim, and obviously we still hold on to his letters till today, and and that makes up a bulk of the New Testament, and which we try to push ourselves to find handles to to that uncomfortable high ethic of love. If we do not push ourselves toward that, then our natural reflex is to come up with my own definition of love. That I'm going to love my way, and she can take it, or I can say it about my wife, I can say it about my kid, that's up to them if they want to accept it or not. I'm doing my part. And I can go my own I put myself in my own bubble, my own definitions of love, and that's it. All of the handles that St. Paul gives us is to love one another, submit to one another, honor one another. All those that he gives us, all of it is the execution of this high ethic of love. One of St. Paul's most famous verses, or chapters, I should say, and you kind of see it in all wedding cards and, you know, wedding videos, is 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where he writes this first letter to the city of Corinth in Greece. And, and St. Paul is trying to, trying to help the city of Corinth and the people understand the ethic of love is not, rel- is not relative, it's not your own individual definition. He's trying to connect the person of Jesus to the ethic of love. So he connects the two by, 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 by painting a picture. So he tells them this, love is... And he's about to describe this ethic of love. Out of anything St. Paul could have said, anything that he could have used as his first words to describe the ethic of love, he says, love is, here are two words you and I hate. We hate the word long. Hopefully you're not saying about this sermon, this long, but you hate the word long, right? I hope I'm, I, I, maybe I'm not the one. I like to watch YouTube videos at a faster pace sometimes. We hate long, right? Sometimes we look at a video, oh, that's too long. I'm not going to watch it, right? We hate long, and we hate the word suffering. <laughs> How appealing. Like, if St. Paul's, like, trying to, like, you know, I, I'm sure the city of Corinth, they wrote the love is long, dash, suffering. Glory be to God forever. And they close. They're, they're not, they're not going to read anything more than that. Those, those are not two appealing words you and I like. Long, and suffering, we hate these two words. Maybe this is probably this is probably a month ago. Like my, my daughter, I have one daughter. She's four years old. Excuse me, four and a half. And she, you know, she was going to summer camp at, at different churches. So I'm, you know, getting her up. And it's the same routine in the morning. And I'll be honest, and I'll confess, like I, I was trying to get her up and just I know make fun of me. I know it was just one kid, but still. I struggle, so okay. So I'm trying to get her up and, and take her to, to, to the summer camp and for me to get along with my day, for me to get to, to, to the things I need to do. So I say, of course, you know, it, it takes 10 minutes to go potty, 10 minutes to put on your shoes, 10 minutes, everything, you know, so it take, it's, it's a whole ordeal in the morning. So, um, so she was putting on her shoes as we're walking out the door. And I, and I kept saying, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. And then she, she looked at me and she says, 
Daddy, why every day is hurry up? Oh, it just, it was a punch to my gut. And it just hit me. Like, and I, and I was complaining to Sarah in the, in the evening, like, she's right. Why every time, like, it, oh, and she keeps on hearing me say, hurry up. What am I teaching her about the pace of life? What am I telling her? Am I telling her that there's something more important after you? Like, what am I saying by saying, hurry up? Am I being long-suffering of taking 10 minutes to put on Velcro shoes? You want to see a picture of what love being long-suffering is? This is my father-in-law, Father Alea, with my daughter, Ruth. We went on a beach vacation a couple years ago. This is the definition of long-suffering. My father-in-law, he could have easily walked at a normal adult pace, but he decides to be long-suffering and hold the hand of a baby who can hardly walk by herself. Do you know what happens when I don't be at the pace of my daughter? There's a separation. Do you know what happens when you do not go low to be at the pace and show sympathy and time and attention to those around you and not meet them where they are? You separate yourself from them. You've, 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 out, you've outpaced them. Love is long and it's suffering. Some definitions would just say love is patient. Yeah, I mean, but, but the, what the Greek that, that, that St. Paul's holding on to, I'm not going to pronounce it because I'm, I'm going to butcher it, it's macrothomia. If you look at that word, it, it, it means long-suffering. Love is long-suffering. If God moved at our pace, shouldn't we move at other people's pace? If God decided to come down, and meet us where we are with our insecurities and struggles and sins. And he came to be at our pace. Isn't you and I invited to meet other people at their pace? I want to share with you the words of St. John Chrysostom. This is his meditation as he's reading this letter that St. Paul wrote to the city of Corinth. Consider from what point he, St. Paul, at once began. He's like, he's like, consider how St. Paul opened up this passage of this manuscript that he wrote to the city of Corinth. Consider from what point that he at once began and what he set first as the cause of all excellence. If I ask you, what will be the catalyst for excellence in your life? If I ask you that, right, that seems like a great pump-up, like, motivational speech, right? You know, what's going to be the cause of all excellence in your life? Say it with me, long-suffering. So St. Paul said, that, that's exactly what St. John is saying. He says, consider from what point he at, what, at once began and what he set first as the cause of all excellence. And what is it? Long-suffering. This is the root of all self-denial. This is the root for me to put me, for me to run to the back of the line and put others in front of me. This is the root of all self-denial. For me to put me, 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 for me to be last, and for me to put others in front of me. This is how I'm invited to be the icon of Christ. This is how I'm invited to be the hands and feet of Jesus. This is the root of all self-denial. Wherefore, also, a certain wise man said, a man that is long-suffering is of great understanding. 
but he that is hasty of spirit is mightily foolish. Mightily foolish. That's probably a nice Christian way of saying something else, too. A man that is long-suffering is of great understanding, but he that is hasty of spirit is mightily foolish. By the way, St. John is saying, uh, we're for also a certain wise man. Anybody know who the wise man he's quoting here? It's Proverbs. So he's, 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 he's quoting King Solomon uh, as St. John is saying this. So he's saying one who is, is long-suffering or embraces that virtue of love, that ethic, is, is of great understanding. But he that is hasty of spirit, come on, put on your shoes. Why, I already said it. You're not listening to me. I told you already to do this. How come you haven't done it yet? Those who are hasty in spirit is stupid. The only thing St. Paul says to parents, the only thing St. Paul says and directly addresses parents is related to love being long-suffering. The only thing St. Paul said to address parents and how they should parent is related to love being long-suffering. It just happened. It just happened. Today's Pauline epistle from today's liturgy, this is, this is what we read today. And this is what uh, St. Paul tells. And somehow... Gentlemen, guys, fathers, I love how St. Paul kind of calls us out on this. He says, and you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. He says, do not provoke them. If you're not long-suffering and patient, don't like keep on poking at them. Hurry. Didn't I tell you already? I told you what's going to happen if you don't. Th that, that provoking, he decides to call out not just parents in general. He calls out dads. That kind of hits home to me. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. You know what admonition of the Lord? Is let the Lord do the reproofing. Let the, let the Lord do the refining of your child. But don't provoke them. Don't keep on poking at them because you are not embracing the ethic of love being long-suffering. Don't keep on pushing at it. Do not provoke your children to wrath. Well, Father Nathaniel, this... Okay, fine. But how will he never, you know, finish his homework? But he never makes it to his bed. Or how is he ever going to get into college? I'm with you. But ask yourself, like, what do you want for your kid? Is it what you want, period? We're renting our children. <laughs> We're renting them. We're loaning them. A mystery happened of how two cells came together and God decided for a, a, a synapse, electrical synapse to occur in the heart for there to be a human being. We're renting them. We have a goal not to provoke them, but to guide them and lead them throughout the way into his kingdom. Does which sound familiar? We lead them. We, we, we are renting them and then we give them back. At, Pre, my premarital retreat, 11, 12 years ago, Dr. Yusri, who was a PhD in, uh, in, in, in family counseling, he's I, it, it still, because still, it was so like counterculture to me. He says, go ahead, have kids, so that way you can do your job as a parent and then go back to investing at, in, in your marriage. I was like, what? Like, I, I've never heard that before. He says, have children so that way you can equip them, let them move, and make their own decisions. And for them to be, if they want to become an active, uh, you know, intentional follower of Christ, that's on them. But equip them and let them go. And then you go back to investing in your marriage. We're renting. 
we're loaning our children. Then I start asking, is it my children? The number one predictor of professional and relational success, the number one predictor of professional and relational success is self-awareness. Or put another word, introspection. Or put another wo uh, words, being, having a repentant heart. Being introspective. The biggest predictor to professional and relational success is for us to look inside to see where our weakness is. Not to point the finger. Well, if she wasn't a bride, I wouldn't, be, I wouldn't have to like, tell her to hurry and put on her shoes. Not, not to point. But the number one factor, predictor of professional and relational sex, success is self-awareness. And that begins now. That begins at home. Are we as parents building that virtue within us? If we build it within us, then our children, will, that will be embedded in them as well. I want to leave you with a few questions for you to kind of just digest this week. Who feels rushed by you? Who feels unhealthy pressure when you walk in the door? Who are you driving out when you are trying to bring out their best? Their best. Who are you driving out when you are trying to bring out their best? What would it require of you to adjust your pace? What would it require of you to adjust your pace? Who are you pushing out? But you're trying to inspire them. But in reality, it's at the lack of the virtue of long suffering that might be provoking those around us. Parents, I know this is scary stuff, but I'd rather us talk about this now as opposed to later. Like, I, I hate to kind of be a Debbie Downer. I don't mean that, but I'd rather us talk about it now, right? Isn't prevention way better than intervention? So that's why let's, let's work on this virtue for us to be long-suffering. And it just stuck out to me. It, the fraction of today's liturgy talks about patience. It was the last part. And you know what? I, 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 let's stand up and pray, and I'm just going to pray the last part of the fraction from today. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We ask you, O our Master, purify our souls, bodies, and spirits, so that with a pure heart, cleansed lips, an enlightened soul, an unashamed face, a faith unfeigned, a pure conscience, a perfect patience, and a firm hope, we may dare with boldness, without fear, to pray to you, O God, the Holy Father, who is in the heavens, and Lord, hear us as we all pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for that is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you, y'all. We'll finish. Uh, we'll do part three next Sunday. Parents of elementary kids, if you don't mind me doing a favor, if you don't mind picking up your children, the volunteers just wanted me to relay the message. If you don't mind picking up your children uh, at the church. Thank you, guys.